Good morning, everyone. Welcome to my kitchen as we continue in our online worship from home. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at storm stories in the Bible as a way of understanding the storm that we're going through in our current COVID crisis, a sea storm, something sudden and unexpected, frightening, even overwhelming, and potentially deadly. A violent storm at sea is no laughing matter. But often, from what we're seeing in Scripture, is that the storm causes people to turn to the Lord because they recognize they're powerless against the might of the wind and the waves. Like the disciples in the boat or Peter trying to walk on water, they must look to Jesus who amazes them because he alone has the power to calm the storm. Today we're going to look at a storm story from the Old Testament from Psalm 107. And I'd suggest that you open up your Bible or your Bible app to Psalm 107 as I go through this morning's message. Now, next week is our last week in the series, and we'll dive into what is perhaps the most well-known storm story in the Bible, the story of Jonah, the reluctant prophet. And while you're getting your Bible out, I, this week I was kind of wondering about, well, what about outside the Bible? What might be the most famous sea storm story outside of the Bible, you know, in movies or novels? What's the most famous one? And immediately I thought about that movie called The Perfect Storm which is a fictionalized account of a true story about the loss of the Andrea Gale, a sword fishing boat that went down in a tremendous hurricane in 1991. That's a pretty well-known story. And then I thought of Tom Hanks's movie, Castaway, where he's stranded on the island with his friend Wilson, who's just a volleyball. But that's not really a sea storm story since he's actually went down in a FedEx airplane. And then it kind of hit me that the most famous sea storm story is actually an old novel, actually what most scholars consider to be the very first novel written in the English language, the adventure tale called Robinson Crusoe. It was first published in the year 1719. It's the most copied, retold story of all time. There are over 700 different adaptations, translations, spin-offs of this book, plus innumerable movie and TV versions. And it's like everybody has done their version of Robinson Crusoe. And in fact, you know, the Tom Hanks movie bought a lot of plot stuff from uh, Robinson Crusoe. But what most of these spinoffs miss is the true intent of the original story. Uh, Daniel Defoe, the author of Robinson Crusoe, was a strong believer in Jesus Christ. His family were Presbyterians, and Presbyterians were a persecuted minority in England at that time. They were called dissenters. Their Protestant way of worship was actually banned by the Church of England. As originally written, Robinson Crusoe is actually an extended version of the parable of the prodigal son. As a young man, Robinson Crusoe goes against the wishes of his father. He lives a, a violent and evil life as a slave trader until the storm comes. The storm smashes his ship to bits. Everyone drowns except him, and he gets thrown up on the beach of a deserted island ends up spending 28 years on that island. I mean, you talk about social distancing. At the beginning, Crusoe experiences total isolation on that island. The, the loneliness almost pushes him over the edge of sanity. He hates his life, hates God for abandoning him on that island. This intense isolation kind of opens the door to self-pity and to despair and to thoughts of suicide. And then one day, a Bible washes up on the beach. He begins to read it, begins to remember the spiritual lessons of his family, and he wrestles with God. Unfortunately, most versions of Robinson Crusoe read in schools today are abridged versions. 
which means they cut out all the chapters devoted to his conversations with God, his, his wrestling with scripture, his mental battle with faith, and his eventual conversion. But for the author, Daniel Defoe, it was that wrestling with God in prayer that was actually the crux of the whole story. The most important part of Robinson Crusoe was not his eventual rescue. The most important thing was his transition from selfish slave trader to sincere believer in Jesus Christ and the way he surrenders himself to the loving providence of God. The main lesson he has to teach us now, 300 years later, is that you can overcome despair with prayer. Because it was in prayer that Robinson Crusoe let go of his self-pity, let go of his failed self-reliance, let go of trying to control the forces of nature around him. It was through prayer that he found peace with God and serenity in his own soul. It's that transition that's so important. In all the storm stories that we looked at, it's that transition from who you are before the storm to who you are after the storm. That's the key thing, the main thing. The storm, as bad as it is, the storm has one redeeming quality. It moves people closer to Christ, if they're willing, if they're responsive. The storm moves people closer to Christ as they overcome their despair with prayer. And that's just as true for us today as it was for the fictitious Robinson Crusoe. Nothing in scripture better describes the process of transformation than Psalm 107. This is a psalm about the transforming love of God. It starts out, starts out this way. He says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. God's love endures forever. The Hebrew there means it's steadfast. It holds true. God doesn't hold anything back. He, he loves us without reservation. He accepts us as valuable. He takes us seriously, and that steadfast love is the recurring theme repeated throughout the psalm because that's who God is. He accepts us, sets us free, and helps us to transition into who we're really longing to be. The rest of the psalm is a series of four testimonies, four different kinds of people, and how God's love works to redeem each one of them. Each of the four testimonies follows the same pattern and ends with the same refrain from verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for all mankind. If you drop down to verse 15, same line is repeated. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Repeat it again in verse 21 and then in verse 31. Whatever something is repeated like that in Scripture, you know it's important. Giving thanks to God for his unfailing love. So what are the four kinds of people who experience God's transforming love? Well, first in verse 4 is a group described this way. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their disease or their distress. The wanderers. You could think of them as just restless ones, people who have a hard time landing. They kind of move from one thing to another. They're unsettled, full of questions and dubious of answers. They wander from place to place, job to job, relationship to relationship. They're, they're looking for something, but they don't know what. They're unsatisfied. They're not willfully running away from God, but they're on a journey. And they're lost, and the journey is getting harder and harder. Finally, they are spiritually hungry enough, spiritually thirsty enough. They turn to God, 
They discover that God has been seeking them all along. Their despair turns into prayer and God meets them on their journey, guides them to himself. God leads them and they respond with thanksgiving for his unfailing love. Second point of person we see in verse 10, where it says, some sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners suffering from chains because they rebelled against the Lord's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. These are people who are openly hostile to God. These are the rebels who consciously reject God's overture of grace. They've rejected the light of Christ. And then the result is darkness. There's darkness that kind of overshadows their lives. They're held prisoner by something, their ideas, their habits, their desires, their addictions. Something's got its hooks into them and they don't think they can ever get unhooked. But eventually, they sincerely turned to the Lord. Verse 13 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Like it says in that great old hymn by Charles Wesley, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. No matter how far they have gone running away from the Lord, God has not given up on them. This persistent, steadfast love of God cracks that hard shell, and their despair is transformed by prayer. And they give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Third group, verse 17, says, Some become fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. If you go on reading, it says that their lifestyle is actually making these people sick physically, emotionally. They're doing damage to themselves. They're, they're all tied up in knots. They're stressed. They're distressed. They're paying a big price for their rebellion because it's eroding their whole psyche. I can't help but think of the uptick in celebrity suicides and you know accidental drug overdoses that we've been seeing this year. It's like becoming an everyday thing. The people buy you know, society standards who have everything that anybody could want, they're still discovering a hollowness within an emptiness, and then tragedy happens if they don't turn to God and don't open themselves to God's transforming love. Despair can overtake people. It doesn't have to be that way. The psalmist writes in verse 18, they drew near the gates of death, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them. From the grave. You know, too often people believe the lies of the evil one who says, you are too far gone, that God has given up on you, that God could never forgive you, that that is just such a lie. No one is too far from God's redeeming love. No one. The Dutch Christian Corey Tenboom, who survived the Nazi concentration camps of World War II, she once said, there is no pit, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. No matter how deep the hole, God can meet you there. And he has a way out of that hole if you'll yield to him. You can defeat despair with prayer. And then we see group four, which is the sea storm part of the psalm. Let me read the whole thing, starting in verse 23. Some went out on the, ship, on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up the, to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like, like drunkards, drunkards. They were at their wits' end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them 
out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. What's interesting about this group is that they were not wanderers. They're not rebels. They're not openly in opposition to God or God's word. They are not in the grip of an addiction or anything extreme. They are just going about their daily business. They're merchants carrying on their business of transporting goods from you know, one port to another. There's nothing wrong with what they are doing. They are just doing normal stuff. Sailing along, trying to do the best they can, and suddenly they're confronted by a crisis. A crisis they did not cause, for which they are not to blame. Out of the blue, the storm comes, and they are hit so hard by the violence of the waves and wind that they stagger across the deck like drunken men, barely able to stand upright. They thought they had a good ship, thought they could handle any storm, but they thought wrong. And they are almost overwhelmed by these monstrous uh, mountainous walls of water and foam that crash over the ship. Isn't that more like our situation? We're just minding our own business and then all of a sudden it's not business as usual anymore. It's business is closed or holding on by a thread. Life as we know it upended, disoriented, it's sort of like you're knocked off your feet by a wave at the beach and then caught in the undertow, dragged underwater, feeling you know, powerless against these unseen forces that are beyond your control. You know, it's isolation and mass and fear every time you open your door. The constant drumbeat of media hype and everyone spewing statistics and models and charts and theories. And it's hard to know, you know which expert to really believe. That's been our situation. And it's a daily battle against despair. Friends, our best weapon in that battle is prayer. Daily prayer so that we can have fellowship with our God, enjoy his presence, where we sense the fullness of his love and his strength. In prayer, it's where we know that our needs will be met, where we know God will satisfy our hearts, where we fill up our minds with good things, where God protects and comforts and guides. God brings protection and strength to those ancient sailors and he'll do the same for us. In verse 28, it says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. I love that. And the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Their despair was defeated by prayer. Eventually, God calms the storm, stills the water, brings them to safe haven. And I believe he is doing the exact same work in us right now. I don't have the ability to see into the future, so I don't know when. But eventually, the storm will cease and the waves will settle. And we will feel a sense of safety as we rest in God's hand. In fact, we can feel that now as our despair is defeated by prayer. But the question kind of remains, what are we learning in this storm. Here are a couple of possibilities. First, what we're learning is that God can speak to us in our adversity, that God can speak to us in our confusion, in our pain, in our isolation. God can speak if we are willing to hear. 
God is allowing us to realize just how vulnerable we humans are in this broken and imperfect world. This world is not how God intended it to be. It is broken because of sin. So we are very vulnerable apart from God's mercies. God is letting us experience just how much we are not in control of our existence. We like to think we are. We like to think we're invincible. We like to, you know, accomplish things. We like to solve problems. We tend to think if there's a problem, well, we'll just make a plan. We'll work the plan and the plan will lead to the goal. But the current crisis simply doesn't work that way. At this stage, we can't fix it. Eventually, I'm sure there's going to be a vaccine, but not today, not in the next week. So all we can do is sort of play defense and watch nature take its course. God is letting us experience the truth of, of Proverbs 11:21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is letting us experience this uncertainty. And if you're like me, we don't like it. One of the devotional books that I have used over the years to guide my own prayer life is Donald Bailey's A Diary of Private Prayer. This is from one of his prayers, and I wanted to read it for you this morning. He says, For it is little that I have power to do or to ordain. Not of my own will am I here, not of my own will shall I soon pass hence. Of all that shall come to me this day, very little will be such that I have chosen for myself. Now those are hard words to hear, especially if you're a control freak like me. But thankfully, Bailey goes on with his prayer and says this, It is thou who does keep in thy grasp the threads of this day's life, and who alone knows what lies before me to endure. But because thou art my father, I am not afraid. God is the one who's going to bring all these threads together, not us. The sooner we learn that, the sooner we learn we are not in control of everything, the better it goes for our soul. This crisis is causing many people to cry out to God for healing and help. People who don't ordinarily pray are praying because this crisis is way beyond even what our very best medical systems can handle. We need God's intervention. For those who are paying attention, God is helping us realize that life on this planet really only works when we call out and depend upon the Creator and the Redeemer. That's the first thing. The second thing is we have to learn to be honest in our praying. We all need to ask God for help in our present personal storms, but we also need to be honest as we pray because we're not really, we may not really feel all that confident in our prayers. Or maybe we're even losing confidence in the God we're praying to. Maybe you're doubting that God is good or that God is great. Maybe you're wrestling with believing that, that God is willing or even able to intervene in your situation. We need to be honest with our doubts. Like the father of the sick boy who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, he said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's honest, and God welcomes that kind of prayer. Belief and unbelief, we can have both those things going on at the same time. That's not unusual. That's just being honest. Anne Lamott wrote a great book about the three essential prayers of life. She called it Help, Thanks, and Wow. Help, thanks, and wow. That's actually the prayer pattern of Psalm 107. Help, thanks, and then wow. And she writes this about our need for honesty in our prayers. My belief is that when you're telling the truth, you're close to God. If you say to God, I'm exhausted and depressed beyond words, and I don't like you at all right now, and I recoil from most people who believe in you, that might be the most honest thing you've ever said. 
If you told me you had said to God, it's all hopeless, and I don't have a clue even if you exist, but I could use a hand, it would almost bring tears to my eyes, tears of pride in you, for the courage it takes to get real, really real. It would make me want to sit next to you at the dinner table. This is a time for honesty in our praying. Yes, I believe we can defeat despair with prayer, but only if we're really honest with our struggles. Sugar-coated prayers won't work. Phony, plastic, smiley face prayers won't do it. What is needed are honest, gut-level prayers where you recognize that God's hold on you is stronger than your hold on him, and he has no intention of ever letting you go. The people described in Psalm 107, they're like us. They didn't ask for the storm. They didn't cause the storm. They didn't enjoy the storm. But it challenged them to the core and pushed them closer to the Lord. They cry out to God. God stills the storm. God brings them through the storm. And they gain a fresh understanding and a greater confidence in his steadfast love. Can you believe that God is bigger than your biggest storm? Are you ready to honestly pray help and thanks and wow? Are you ready to overcome despair with prayer? Then let your heart join in with this rallying cry from Psalm 107. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for all mankind. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this powerful psalm where you describe these different groups of people and how your relentless love can redeem every one of them. And Lord, that gives us such hope to know that you are not giving up on any one of us, Lord. And we may feel lost, we may be feel far from you, we may be doubting that our prayers are even worth praying. We may feel like our prayers go up no higher than the ceiling of our room. But Lord, we know that you are holding on to us in ways that we can't even imagine, Lord. So we wanna rest in the steadfast love that you give to us. Help us to give thanks to you. Help us to be buoyed up by this never-ending love that comes from you, this ceaseless love, this relentless love. Lord, help us to just be empowered and emboldened by the scriptures today as we understand your great love will sustain us and will see us through the storm. We thank you for that promise now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.